Oh, beloved, I am so excited about this series on the church because the church of Jesus Christ is the most powerful and eternally influential people on the planet. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against her. Despite opposition, the church will prevail. Despite persecution, the church will grow. Despite being restricted in freedoms, which is happening in this country, the church will move forward. Jesus loves the church, for he shed his blood for the church. Jesus called the church his bride, his body, the hands and feet of Jesus. And no matter what happens, the church will prevail because Jesus is the head of the church. Are you a part of the church? Have you received Jesus? Are you a part of his hands and his feet carrying on his mission? Well, I'm excited, and I want you to turn to Acts chapter 2. Sermon notes are on the back of your flyer. If you're watching online, great to have you. The sermon notes are on our app. And as you're turning to Acts 2, I want to thank you for your prayers. My wife and I are fully uh, recovered from our mild case of COVID. So it's great to be back with you. And so I'm, thank you. I'm one of the safest people in the room. I'm one of the safest people in the room because highly unlikely you'll ever get it again, they say. I think the government ought to issue some stickers that say, I've had it. And then, and then, you know, everybody knows that, hey, you know, they're not going to be contagious. And uh, as you're turning to Acts 2, I want to welcome our newest members. Now, these folks have done our membership process before COVID, so it's taken this long to do all the uh, elder interviews. And so if your name is on this, please uh, stand. Millie, Ashley, Ron and Donna, Hannah, Chris and Robin, Brooks got baptized, Bryce, Cole, next slide. Olivia, Ryan, Drew, Patty, Daniel, Andy, and Gail, Jack, Jacob, and John. So welcome our newest members. Yeah. Awesome. Man, that's exciting. You know what was the coolest about this class? I think y'all are the youngest class we've ever had. So it's just so cool to see so many college and young adults in this group. Let's stand for the reading of God's holy word. Acts chapter 2, verse 41. This is the description of the early church. This is our blueprint for what the church should be today. From this passage, we are going to uncover 12 ingredients of the church on mission. And it's a great time for us to evaluate how are we doing here at Living Hope. Those who received his word were baptized. and There were added that number about 3,000 souls. Pretty large church growth, would you not say? <laughs> they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Father, in the name of Jesus, would you anoint your word now that we could see this fulfilled in our midst, even right here at Living Hope. Jesus, we acknowledge that you're the head of the church. Have your will and way now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. 
We learned last week that the church on mission is gospel-centered. They received his word. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. The saving work of Christ at the cross is what puts us into his family, the church. It's, the, it's salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, for the glory of God alone. That is the gospel. That's why we gather. That's what saves us. That's what unites us. Second, we learn that the church on mission is sacramental. Baptism and the Lord's Supper. We celebrated the Lord's Supper last week. We've just experienced baptism today. That is the physical manifestation of the gospel. Thirdly, we learned that it's deeply committed day by day. They were, they were committed not only to Jesus but to one another. And I believe that's why the cross is a beautiful symbol because there's a vertical and a horizontal dimension. The vertical is about that it's all about a relationship with Jesus. Now, maybe you're here, you're watching online, you know about religion, you know about going to church, you know about doing ritual. That's not Christianity. Christianity is a relationship with Jesus Christ. When you receive Christ in your life, you surrender your life to Him, and you have a daily relationship with Jesus Christ. It's also about the horizontal part, and that is the church. The moment you and I are born again, we are placed into the body of Christ. You cannot divorce your relationship with the church from your relationship with Jesus. And they were deeply committed to both. They were committed to Christ, and they were committed to one another. They didn't just meet together when it was convenient, when, they would, when the deer season was over, when the kids didn't have a sports event, when their favorite team wasn't on at noon that day. No, they met day by day in the temple and from house to house. They had a deep commitment not only to Jesus but to one another. Well, there's 52 one another's in the New Testament. We take church far less serious today than they did then. And the problem's not on their end, the problem's on our end. And this is not some pastor trying to make you feel guilty if you're not in church every Sunday, nor is it to make anybody watching online feel bad. We are so glad you're with us. And, and if you're not comfortable coming back, you're just as much a part of this body where you are. But I'm telling you, the, the Christian life is about relationships with Jesus and each other. And, and during this season of COVID, we more than ever need relationships with one another. People are struggling emotionally largely because they are disconnected to other people. And so if you're not comfortable coming back, you need to be connecting in other ways. Zoom groups and texting and calling and being in community. The church is about the community of God's people. And so they were deeply committed. Number four, they were word-rooted. The apostles' teaching. You should make sure you're a part of a church that preaches the word of God. And I'm telling you, folks, we live in a day. Churches are compromising scripture. People are accumulating for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires to hear what their itching ears want to hear. We need to be deeply committed to the word of God. And, living hope, you need to be like the Bereans that examine daily the things that Paul said to make sure that they were accurate. Don't take my word for it. If it's not in the Word of God, don't believe it. But if it is in the Word of God, receive it. <laughs> so they were word-rooted. Fifth, they were relational. All about relationship. And this is why here at Living Hope, we, we want to do everything we can to provide opportunities for you to connect relationally. This is why we have the 
Tuesday night, young adult ministry starting up this Tuesday night in the chapel. This is why we have the Wednesday night groups that are starting back this Wednesday night. You can do Zoom or in person. This is why we have Celebrate Recovery on Friday nights with their step study group. This is why we have the men's outing of Saturday. Is that just because we want to cheer for the Georgia Bulldogs? Well, yeah, that's one reason, but it's because we want to gather together. It's just a good excuse for men to get together and eat and fellowship and get to know one another and and shout at the game at Lee's house. Their windows are going to break because we're going to beat Bama. I'm telling you right now in the name, in the name of Jesus. And, so, <laughs> and then this is why we do the Harvest Festival coming up. And, and on and on, the youth retreat. It's, because, it's not because we're trying to fill a church calendar. Give me a break. It's because we want to provide opportunities for you to grow deeper in Jesus and in relationship with one another. Six, Church on Mission is prayerful. Praying together, praying for one another. All right, so let's pick up today. Seventh ingredient is the church on mission is spirit-empowered. Now, I preached a few weeks ago on the filling of the Holy Spirit. So I'm going to restrain from spending much time here, even though I'd like to, because you know I love to preach about the Holy Spirit. It says here that there was a sense of awe, a sense of God's presence. There was a sense of the manifest presence of God we long for God's Spirit to be so powerful here and His presence be so active that you, the minute you get out of your car, you'd sense the presence of God here. It says many wonders and signs were done. So in the book of Acts, because of the Holy Spirit being active and free to move, you see things like miracles, healings, dreams, visions, prophetic words, answers to prayer. Speaking in tongues and prophecy and people being delivered of demonic spirits. There was anointed preaching. There was manifestation of angels freeing Peter from prison. There was the powerful presence of God. Oh, beloved, we need this today. I need this every day. You need this. And I, and I want to encourage you today. It's the same Holy Spirit today as was active then. <laughs> The same spirit that anointed Jesus, the same spirit that did these miracles in the book of Acts, is the same spirit that lives in you if you've received Christ. That means that the Holy Spirit in you is more powerful than any challenge you face, any temptation you face, any relational struggle you have. No matter what you encounter, the Holy Spirit in you is bigger than that which you struggle with. That's good news, folks. That's the Holy Spirit. They were a spirit-empowered church. A couple weeks ago, I had the privilege of visiting E.M. Bounds' grave. If you don't know who E.M. Bounds is, you need to. Prolific author on prayer. And one of his famous quotes, he's buried in Washington, Georgia, by the way. And one of his famous quotes about prayer and about the Holy Spirit is he says, what the church needs today is not more machinery. And boy, he was writing in the 1800s. This is so true today about... But what the church needs is men and women whom the Holy Spirit can use. You and I yielded to the Holy Spirit. Beloved, it's a, there's an infinite possibilities of what God can do through a person yielded to Him and empowered by the Spirit. We desperately need men and women and young people filled with the Holy Spirit. Dwight L. Moody said, the world is yet to see what God might do through one person fully yielded to Him. The world is yet to see what God might do through a vessel fully yielded to him. And he says the Holy Spirit does not flow through methods, but through people. Those are people 
prayer. Now, the eighth quality of a church on mission is that they were unified. Oh, if there was ever a need for this today as well. The church is so divided. Christians are so divided. It says, all who believe were together and had all things in common. Talking to one of my relatives over the last few days, and she was just sharing how frustrated she was about her church. They're divided over this. They're divided over that. They're they're getting into all these unhealthy political discussions, and, and on and on and on. It was just, she was so discouraged. Beloved, we need to stay united. Ephesians 4 and 3 says, be diligent to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And I'm going to tell you what unifies us, and I'm going to tell you what doesn't unify us. We are not united because we all agree about the election and the political parties that are running. Now, do I believe that's important? You know I do. I'm doing a devotion every morning on Facebook Live talking about issues that ought to, be, that ought to affect how you vote. But I'm not mentioning a party or a person by name, purposefully avoiding that. I'm just mentioning the issue. So I believe it's very important. But it's not whether we agree on who's going to serve in the White House that unites us. It's, it's whether we agree that Jesus is King of Kings. But if that doesn't get a clap, I don't know what, you're not listening. <laughs> what unites us is not who the next Supreme Court justice is. What unites us is who sits on the divine court. His name is Jesus. What unites us is not who you cheer for on Saturdays. What unites us is who you worship on Sundays. His name is Jesus. What unites us is not whether or not you think you ought to wear a mask. What unites us is that you're clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. All right? That's what unites us. What unites us is not how serious you think the COVID crisis is. What unites us is how serious sin is and that the only solution for sin is Jesus Christ. So we must keep the main thing the main thing. And I'm so proud of this church that we are united. So I preach from strength today, not weakness. One of the things that Living Hope has going for it, praise God, is our unity amidst incredible diversity. And we say, and that's why, guys, that's why I say, look, on Sunday mornings when we come together, I do not want to hear you talk politics. I do not want to hear you talk about the game the day before. Go to Jittery Joe's and talk till the cows come home about it. But when we gather here, I want you talking about Jesus. I want you talking about what God's doing in your life. I want you sharing with each other where you need prayer. That's what will keep us united. Now, this next one is huge. And it just shows how much God was working in their lives. The church on mission is generous. Now, look at this. This is, this is, this is radical stuff. I'm going to give you five reasons why they were able to live this. Selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Radical generosity. Turn a few pages to the right, Acts chapter 4. I want to hear pages moving. In your paper Bibles, you guys. Acts chapter 4, verse 32. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, unity. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. Doesn't that sound like a contradiction? <laughs> Wait, if they're belonging to you, then it's yours. Well, it's belonging to you because God entrusted it to you, but it's ultimately his. <laughs> That's good, isn't it? 
So they didn't consider anything that belonged to them being their own, but they had everything in common, and with great power the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. Lord, bring great grace upon us. We need it. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Folks, this is radical generosity. This is liberating generosity. <laughs> and I long for our church to be this way. This is why we're a tithing church. We give 10% of, of what's given here outside of the walls of this church. Because we want to model as a church what we expect others to live. I want to be like this more. I've had a few cases of radical generosity. I remember the time that my wife and I were led by the Holy Spirit to give a fourth of our income for three years to our church in Wisconsin when we were in a building program. So the first three months of every year for three years, I just signed my check back over to the church. The Holy Spirit led us to do that. And God supplied in ways that were just phenomenal. When I got my surplus check from the government because of COVID, which many of you did, I didn't need it, so I gave it to the Generations Project. I'm not saying that to say, look how great I am. I'm saying that it's fun to be generous because when we're generous, it unleashes the blessing of God. We don't give to get, but he just blesses it, and these people experience the presence of God in a radical way, partly because they were so radical in their generosity and because of what God had done in their life. So let me give you five reasons why I think they were able to be this generous. Number one, because they understood that salvation is generous. <laughs> that freely you've received, freely give. They, they, they were so radically changed by the awesome gospel of Jesus that God would freely give to us salvation in his son. That he would freely forgive us. That he would give so generously to us Understanding that makes you want to be generous for others. Number two, they lived under the lordship of Jesus. Now, I used this illustration last week, but this, this well illustrates what it means for Jesus to be lord of your life. Watch this. The, the spokes of this wheel represent your life, your activities, your family, your marriage, your school, your hobbies, your, your uh, money, your, your possessions. The, the hub or the center of the wheel is who's in control. Who's Lord? Many people, they're Lord of their life. It's my house, my money, my marriage. It's my hobbies. Don't tell me what to do. I'm the ruler of my life. But when you get saved, you are to surrender the lordship and the control of your life to Jesus. So he's not just Savior, forgive you your sins, give you a ticket to heaven. He's Lord. He said, if anyone comes after me, let him deny himself. Take self off the throne. <laughs> and he says, deny yourself, take up your cross daily and follow me. One of the items in our lives is our money and possessions. This is often the most difficult to yield to his lordship for some reason. Martin Luther once said that he baptized a guy and 
He had money. He had his, his money, his purse, or his wallet in his back pocket. Baptized the guy. It wasn't Martin Luther. It was somebody. I don't remember who it was. But he said, he says, the guy comes out of the water, and he had his wallet in his pocket. Brooks, did you have your wallet in your pocket? Oh, sorry. Well, you could have been a great illustration today. But he says, you know, that's kind of prophetic because we need to baptize our money and our possessions. And so here's the bottom line. When you're living under the lordship of Jesus, you do with your life and your money and your possessions and your time and your talents what he says. So if he says, sign over three checks for three months, every check for three months, to the, to, then you do it. If he says, you see? And so what you do is you, you live with this not being gripped as yours, but you hold it with an open hand. And, and I've found something to be true, that when you do this with anything, it can be a relationship, it can be a job, it can be money, it can be a car, it can be whatever's precious to you. What I have found, I'm just giving you this advice, to avoid you having some broken limbs. Because what often happens is if, if, as you hold things tightly, the Holy Spirit sometimes has to pry your fingers away. And when he does that, ow, just broke a knuckle. So to help you avoid some unnecessary pain in your life, I would highly recommend, for the glory of Jesus, that you hold your life like this. And that's what these early believers were doing. They were holding. So, so the guy that had the land, the Holy Spirit must have spoken to him, sell the, sell the land. Did everybody sell their land? No, not necessarily. Did the, you know, the good question was asked in the first service during Q&A about the rich young ruler. Was that prescriptive or descriptive? It was descriptive. It's not prescriptive. It doesn't mean that everybody has to sell everything before they get saved. But Jesus saw the rich young ruler and saw that this was his God and he needed to surrender that in order to be a follower of Jesus. And so it's as you're led by the Holy Spirit. That's why this is so freeing. Let the Holy Spirit lead you. I remember the guy about a month ago, the guy in this church, really is, God's just put the gener our Generations Project on his heart, and he, he just has such a heart for that playground over there, and he began to see children in that playground, he began to see neighbors in this community coming to that playground, and it being an evangelistic tool, and he said, I want to buy a new swing set, and I want to pay for the sod, it just went in this week to the glory of God, and so I thank this man for, for this generous gift he gave, and he said, it's not mine. <laughs> I love that attitude. It's God's money, and that's number four, but we'll get there. Number three is a love for others. They just had this genuine love for others and wanted to help them. Number four, and this is where it comes in, the ownership of God. You see, if Jesus is Lord, is Jesus your Lord? Are there some spokes in your life that need to be surrendered to Jesus? Folks, let me tell you something. We try to run our life, and we think we can do better, and you know what happens with these spokes when they're run by us? They get all twisted and messed up, and they're not tight, and the wheel gets all messed up. Jesus knows best how to run your life. He created you. He loves you. He says he has a plan that's a wonderful plan to give you a future and a hope. And so as we recognize that he owns it all and I'm just a steward of what he owns, that's how we're to live. And it's not just with our money, it's with our time and our talents. 
You know, one of the things that we're wrestling with right now, we'll take a look in the room right now. This is probably we're at capacity, if not over capacity, in terms of the people in this room with the social distancing. Okay? So we are already having to look at do we need to maybe add a third service? And we're wrestling with that. Pray for us. We don't know what we're going to do on this yet. But I'm telling you, if we do that, we're going to need a lot more people serving. We need more people serving in our worship ministry, in our tech ministry, in our first impressions ministry, our children's ministry. And so part of yielding your life to Jesus is saying, God, my time is yours, my abilities are yours, my talents are yours, and I submit them to you. God, what would you have me do with them? That's such a freeing way to live. And finally, number five, the reason they were so radically generous is they lived with an eternal perspective. Jesus said, don't lay up treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, but lay up treasures in heaven. And so it's giving your life for what's going to outlive you. I've never seen a U-Haul trailer behind a hearse. You can't take it with you. So why not invest it in what will last forever? Number 10. A church on mission is caring. This is similar to the point about relationships. But it says they distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. They cared about each other. When they saw a need and, and, and they, they could meet it, they, they tried to meet it. That need could be a need for prayer. That need could be financial. That need could be for just wisdom and input. But, but a church on mission is a church that cares for each other. I want you to turn to 1 John chapter 3. That's a Book to the right, right before Revelation. Not the Gospel of John, but 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3, verse 17. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. So first of all, they, they had close enough relationship with one another to know about each other's needs. And then they, they, they did everything they could to meet those needs. Now, only God can meet our deepest needs. But God uses his body, his hands and feet, to meet needs. Francis Schaeffer spoke at the University of Georgia back in the, in the 1980s. And he has this great quote about how love is the final apologetic to a watching world. And here's what he said. The final apologetic... Next slide, there we go. Along with, the rela along with the rational and logical, so he's all about logical and rational defense of the Christian faith, and he was a brilliant man. But beyond that is what the world sees in the individual Christian and in our corporate relationships together. They have documents from the first century that even those who were critical of Christianity and didn't embrace Jesus as Messiah said of the early church, oh, how they loved each other. What would be said of the church today? <laughs> oh, how divided they are. Oh, how they argue about petty things. Oh, that people would say about Living Hope Church. Oh, how they love each other. What a loving group of people. Those people love each other. They don't, they don't, they don't expect them to change before they'll love them. Hello, we love people right where they're at. We may disagree with them theologically. We may disagree with them morally. We may disagree with them politically. But we are to love every person because that's how Jesus does. He loves us no matter our behavior, no matter our beliefs. And here's how it works. As we love people, listen closely, 
As we, as he lo- as we love people, it tends to soften their heart. It massages their hearts to where they become more receptive to the Holy Spirit convicting them of sin. Not us, but Him. And then, as they're convicted of sin, they repent, place their faith in Him. He saves them, and then He begins to change them. But we don't expect them to change on this end. We love them where they're at so that the Holy Spirit might convict them. They get saved, and then through the indwelling, powerful Holy Spirit, they get changed from the inside out. Well, how do we do that? How do we care for each other? Well, we want you to be caring for each other just in your interactions. We desire that our small group be a place that people learn of needs and meet those needs. And then our benevolent fund. So part of our tithing money that we tithe as a church goes into the benevolent fund. Since this church started seven years ago, we've given $101,000 through our benevolent ministry to help pay a bill that somebody has or help people with food or whatever the need. Do you know the best way to live this out is just those daily relationships, daily being sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit. And, and, and let me tell you something that just happened on Friday. So this Thursday and Friday, I went with my dad to North Carolina to bury the cremains of my mom. So two and a half years ago, my mom died after an 11-year battle with Alzheimer's. My dad cared for her the whole time. They lived in our basement. And, and my dad donated my mother's body to science. And it's cool because they call her the teacher. So they say the teacher instructed the med students this week in this area. And so for two years, she was the teacher <laughs> because they used her body. And then after that two-year period, then they take care of cremation, and then they give you the cremains. And my dad and I went this week up in North Carolina to a family cemetery to bury those. Okay, so we're coming back, and we're at a Cracker Barrel just outside of Charlotte, to have dinner. And this is just so cool. So we're sitting there, and a couple is, is about two tables over, and I still do not know how this conversation happened. It was a Holy Spirit thing. And I just was, I said something to them, and they, anyway, I don't know what it was, but the guy goes, I'm in the doghouse. And I went, what? He goes, yeah, I'm in the doghouse, pointing to, his, to the woman with him. And I go, well, I'm a pastor. <laughs> and so he calls me over to his table. And he says, how long have you been married? I said, 35 years, been a pastor for 36. There's hardly anything I haven't heard. What's going on here? And he goes, well, we're, we're having conflict. <laughs> I'm not exaggerating. My dad was in first service. So I told dad, if, he, if I exaggerate, you call me to it. And, and so this is all factual. And, and the guy said, what's the secret? Like of marriage. I said, Jesus. <laughs> I said, having Jesus at the center and praying together. So if you have conflict, you grab hands and you pray and you ask the Holy Spirit to come and it binds Satan and it releases the presence of God. And then I said this, I said, the other secret is humility. Being willing to look at your own stuff and not just pointing fingers at the other about what they need to change. And he went, wow, that's, that's good advice. So anyway, went back to my table, Dad and I ate dinner and then he, he kind of interrupts halfway through my day. He said, I'm going to call you, give me your number. Okay, so I wrote my name and number down on this little napkin. And before we left, I go back over. And, and I said, because I didn't, I didn't know if they were married or, you know, where they were at. And I said, so are y'all married? And they said, and he, and he said, we were supposed to get married today. But we called it off. And by the way, when I gave that advice earlier, the woman, man, she's grinning from ear to ear. When I said, Jesus, and I asked him, have you both received Christ? Are you saved? Yes, yes, yes. So, I mean, I made sure they were 
born again. And then, and so they said, we're supposed to get married today. And then, get this, now single women, you better listen closely. Because she, then she's, so my dad's paying, you know, you go back to the front at Cracker Barrel to pay, so I'm there with him in the big area. And she says, he's still kind of flirting around with his old girlfriends. I looked at him and I, oh man, I about, mm, if I did what I wanted to do in the flesh, wouldn't have been pretty. Probably would have been. And so I said, dude, what, what? I said, you got to forsake all others and cleave only to her. Okay? But what I didn't say that I wanted to say, I wanted to say to the woman, what the blankety blank are you doing even considering this guy? I mean, seriously, if he's still messing around with some old girlfriends, you think you can trust him? Give me a break. So I hope, pray, he calls me. I pray he calls me because I'm going to talk to her. <laughs> Seriously. Listen, you single women, I'm telling you what. Mm. Do some background checks. Check references. Ask to talk to people that know him outside of your little relationship with him. And guys... Everything you do prior to marriage, okay, this is free. I won't charge you extra for this today. The first service didn't get this, okay? Everything, and this goes for both. I'm not going to just single out the guys. Everything you do prior to saying I do, if it's not dealt with before saying I do, it'll come back to hurt you. Now, that doesn't mean you got to have a perfect past. But what you do that is sinful, you get it under the blood, you get it confessed and healed, you get counseling, and you come without any baggage as much as you can. Because it's tough enough with no baggage. <laughs> it's challenging enough, marriage, with no baggage. Right, Carla? <laughs> but it's doubly hard, and, and, and for some, insurmountable, if you come in with baggage. Number 11, church on mission is worshipful. There's a sense of awe, and they broke bread. That's communion. They praise God. We did a series on worship recently, so I won't dwell on that, but they were a worshiping people. And you know, worship is what helps keep us unified. Number 12, this is huge, and this is their last point. Culturally engaged. Having favor with all the people. That's an interesting phrase, isn't it? So they had interaction with the community such that they had favor. They had a good reputation. I'll never forget when Jerry Kaiser, who runs our addiction recovery ministry, was in court one day. It was about, about a year ago. And it was a court hearing because a guy was, they were going to rule whether or not to bring a guy from the Clark County Jail to our recovery ministry. And, and, he, and, he, and he's talking, and Jerry's telling about the program and everything, and this is in the courtroom. And, and the judge says, wait, are you Jerry Kaiser from that fresh wind thing at Living Hope Church? He said, yes, sir. He said, I hear good things about y'all every week. Folks, that's called a good reputation. That's favor with people. Are, 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 do, what, what kind of reputation does Living Hope have? Are we known as a caring church, as a loving church, as a diverse but unified church, as a church that loves Jesus and preaches the gospel in love and, and is unified and, and helps people with true 
Needs? I hope so. I pray so. And then it says, the Lord added to their number. Who adds to the number? The Lord. Who's the Lord of the harvest? Jesus. Who's the only one who can change a heart? Jesus. Day by day, those who are being saved. And this culturally engaged piece gets expressed in many ways. Certainly evangelism. Private, public. There was lots of open-air preaching in Acts. There was conversations in the marketplace. There was one-on-one. There was large groups. They, they brought the presence of God into just daily situations like the lame man and they speak healing to him. There was civil disobedience when they were told not to preach. That's cultural engagement. Civil disobedience when they were told not to preach. They said, we'll obey God rather than man. They responded to persecution with faith and a no back down resilience. They sent people out, Acts 13, to unreached places. They spoke out against sin and idols in the culture, Acts 17. There was, this is cool, public demonstrations of faith and repentance. Acts 19, people burned their books of magic when they got converted. That is engaging in the culture. That is seeing God move on a community because of the believers. Oh, that Athens would shut down the bars because so many people get saved that they don't even want to go to the bars in Athens. Oh, that every liquor store would go out of business because nobody wants it because they get saved and they're looking to Jesus to fill them up. Paul gave his testimony of a changed life every chance he got. So there were numerous expressions of being culturally engaged, but it was primarily evangelism. Bill Hybels wrote in his book, evangelism is the quickest cool down and the slowest heat up in the Christian life. In other words, it's the quickest thing to cool down and it's the hardest thing to heat up. And I'm so proud of many in this church that do the Great Exchange. That's this Thursday. But this week we had a brother in this church that we weren't even doing the Great Exchange, but he felt led to go out to the Tate Center and do some surveys, and he led two guys to Christ. That's awesome. Amen. All right, so I have an exciting announcement to make as I come to the end of this message. Any ministry that's important to the kingdom requires leadership. We would not have an effective children's ministry if it wasn't for Kathy Hayes giving leadership to that. We would not have an effective youth and college ministry if it wasn't for Kevin Stout giving leadership to that or Jerry Kaiser with the Fresh Wind Addiction Ministry. Well, one of the areas that we have not had really anybody overseeing in terms of a staff member, and it's to our shame, is evangelism and outreach. So the elders recently have been troubled by that. And to make a long story short, we are going to increase the monthly support that we give to this couple from our local outreach tithing money, so it won't even affect our general fund. Not that it would be, not that it would be a big deal if it did. But we're going to increase the monthly support for this couple Rich and Mary Catherine Sapleta. <laughs> yeah. And they, they are going to come on staff just 10 hours a week. I wish it could be more, 10 hours a week to give leadership to our evangelism and outreach ministry. Now, they'll continue their ministry with doing their stuff with truth on display, rich traveling, speaking, apologetics, their Chinese Zoom thing, their thing with Rashio Christi, which is all raising support for that, separate from us. So it's important you know that. 
So, but 10 hours a week, they're going to give leadership here and come on staff as our directors of evangelism and outreach. I want to share with you right now a word that was given by somebody on our prayer team, and then we'll go into a little Q&A time. The human experience is to be one with me. The world doesn't have that, but you, my body, my bride, are one with me. But when you operate in fear of that which goes on around you, the peace and joy I have given you is not operative in your life. Faith in me, true faith, the type of faith written about in the book of Hebrews, that pleases me comes in the deepest, darkest valleys of your life. Trust me with everything about your life. Don't hold on tightly to possessions. Give freely. Give beyond your obligations. And trust me to do the signs, wonders, and miracles and healings that only I can do. Join with your brothers and sisters and let the world see my love in operation through you as you live a life of praise and thanksgiving. Live your life with a giving mindset. Trust me and walk with me and see if I don't come through in the clutch for you. Let's review what we've learned in the last two weeks. Twelve ingredients to a church on mission. It's gospel-centered, sacramental, deeply committed, word-rooted, relational, prayerful, spirit-empowered, generous, unified, caring, worshipful, and culturally engaged. So I bring you now. You can see from this is our mission statement. Living Hope is a word-rooted, spirit-empowered, culturally engaged church that seeks to bring salvation to the lost, healing to the hurting, and the training of leaders to help reach the world for Jesus Christ. All right, we're going to take some questions. You can text those in or raise your hand. We had some great ones in first service. By the way, next week, we are going to do a conversations worth having about the church. So it won't be me just preaching. It'll be a panel of people that will give input into this area. We'll take questions. We'll look specifically at the issue of the house church movement. I know that's a real hot topic for many today. But questions about today's message or what we've looked at the last two weeks? Um, I have a question about the last point you made on cultural engagement. I know Paul writes a lot about um, not pleasing men and all of your efforts being aimed at pleasing the Lord and that sometimes living in truth will not be received mm. peacefully and well. Um, how would you differentiate between um, living in a way that maintains peace and that is in favor of those culturally, culturally around you and also only aiming to please God? Is yeah. it different situationally based on the Holy Spirit? That's good. What a great question. I would say 